Matthew chapter 15, beginning at verse 1 to verse 14. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whatever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And thus you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And after he called the multitude to him, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides of the blind, and if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. We've come to chapter 15 of Matthew, and we can see that the hostility towards Jesus is growing. You always think about it, why would someone want to oppose the most loving man that ever lived? the Son of Man, the Son of God, is because men love darkness and walk in darkness and they hate the light, as Jesus said in John chapter 3. As we have seen through the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus on several occasions had run-ins, confrontations with uh, the Pharisees and the scribes. In this instance, Jesus is opposed by both the Pharisees and the scribes. And they're not local Pharisees or scribes. Scripture says they've come up from Jerusalem. They've traveled 20 or so miles. Probably been told to come up here uh, to Galilee. And they probably had the expectation uh, from those who were hearing Jesus, you need to come up here and stop this man Jesus in his tracks somehow. So the text says that the Pharisees and the scribes The supposed experts in the law is what they were. They have come and they have uh, confronted Jesus. Now we're told that this passage here really brings out one of the great plagues that has uh, impacted the church for really for millennia. Men are not content with the word of God or the law of God only. They either want to add to it or they want to subtract from it. The passage is one of the classic 
uh, passages in all of the Word of God showing the problem of elevating the traditions of men above the Word of God. Now let me say this at any time, that when someone brings an authority besides the Bible alone to the table of theological discussion, tremendous problems will always emerge. And what happens is the Word of God is systematically corrupted. Whenever you bring another authority, that's what happens. The clash between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes, it's not over the law of God per se. It is uh, over what constitutes to be an authority to be obeyed. That's what the controversy was over. They don't understand why Jesus is not making his disciples uh, obey the tradition of the uh, elders. And the tradition of the elders was, why do you not teach them to wash their hands when they eat bread? Now this was not, had nothing to do with physical hygiene. Well, they've been out plowing or something and it's just nasty. That is not what this is all about. It has nothing to do with physical hygiene, but it has everything to do with ceremonial rituals of cleansing. And the tradition of the elders, over the centuries, there were regulations that were laid down by rabbis over all this whole period of time. Later on, after the times of Christ, in about 200 A.D., they will be all of these thousands and thousands of human traditions were made into a document. And then it became a, a system of authority for certain groups. Well, the tradition of the elders here was this. Uh, <clears throat> wash your hands ceremonially before you eat bread. Now, there was nothing in the law of God that prescribed that kind of ritual. Nothing. Nothing about doing this before eating of meals. Now, yes, there were certain regulations that are revealed in Leviticus, for example, that taught spiritual truths of the separation of, of sin and teach people the holiness of God. For one, the dietary laws were this. Some people think the dietary laws were given because it's a superior way of eating, and but that's not the essence of the dietary laws. Jesus makes it very clear later on that when he alludes to the passage, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but it's what uh, comes out of a man. And then Mark says, thereby Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, if Jesus, uh, if that was a superior way of eating, then he would have uh, maintained that. But the dietary laws were laws of the Old Testament designed to teach the people in a visual way to be separate from sin. Now, there were certain ceremonial cleansings in the Old Testament uh, that were expected of priests before they went and did their sacred duties in the tabernacle. Uh, there were some hand-rinsing uh, rituals uh, concerning certain situations that were uh, the people were told to do. But they were certain 
situations. Nowhere was there anything prescribed for everyone to wash their hands before eating a meal. That was not in the law of God whatsoever. The problem is this with man-made traditions is that they always effectively displace the authority of Scripture. And what happens is the traditions become the emphasis, not the Word of God. And before you know it, you don't have the Bible as the sole authority. But you have man-made laws. And so what we see is this is but the strategy of the arch enemy of the church, the devil, Satan. He's behind such man-made traditions. Uh, He wants to, um, uh, do you think Satan wants people to be obedient to the, the standard, the word of God? Well, no. I mean, we can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Satan's deception of Eve, where he challenged Eve, has God really said that you'll die if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? So he's raising this doubt and ends up deceiving Eve so that she disobeys the clear commandment of God. And so what... The, the arch enemy of the church always is seeking to do is always wanting to bring about disruption in the body of Christ if he can. And one of the things that will almost always assure a disruption or dissension in the body is an emphasis upon human tradition. Where someone says, this is what we ought to do, but it's not found in the Word of God. And it brings about disunity in the body. In the case of Jesus' conflict with the Pharisees and the scribes, the group was of the opinion that this ceremonial ritual was absolutely essential for the people to observe in order to worship God. They viewed it as that important. So important, Jesus... Why aren't you teaching your disciples to do this? There's something wrong here, Jesus. So in their concern for external ritual, it superseded, we're going to see, Jesus will point out the word of God. And it becomes a substitute for true holiness of life. So that this legalistic observance of man-made traditions becomes the basis. It becomes the authority, not the Bible alone. And so what we see here is that the the hideousness of man-made traditions is that what it does is that it brings about an external compliance to these things and that these external compliances to these law, these regulations become what is holy, not the Word of God. And Jesus calls them out on this. And he deals with them that they are theologically wrong in this regard. The Pharisees and the scribes were imposing human traditions upon the consciences of the people. 
and we're, we're binding the consciences of people to these man-made regulations. And they made people feel guilty if they did not observe them. And uh, if they didn't observe them, then there would be consequences in their the mindset. For example, here's what one rabbi taught. Here's, here's where, where it leads. One rabbi taught that to eat with unwashing hands is as great a sin as adultery, end of quote. That's what the rabbis were teaching. Uh, another rabbi who had been uh, a prisoner on one occasion, having water sent to him by which he would wash his hands ceremonially and to drink, the greater part of the water had been spilt. So you know what he did? He took the remaining water, didn't drink it, though he was thirsty, and he washed his hands ceremonially. And he made the comment that he would rather die than transgress the tradition of the elders. You see where it leads? That's where it leads. Men elevate human tradition above the Word of God. And there you have it. That's the tyranny of human traditions. And it got to the point, it gets to the point as a matter of fellowship with others. Someone will say, uh, it got to the point where some will say, you can't eat with those who haven't ceremonially cleansed their hands. So it becomes a matter of fellowship. How did Jesus respond to this attack, theological attack, that the Pharisees and scribes uh, were bringing upon him? Well, Jesus, we're going to see, was very stern with these men. And he was stern with them. Anytime Jesus is stern with people, it's because there is a lot at stake. And there is a lot at stake. And what Jesus does, he turns, uh, metaphorically, he turns the table upon the, upon the Pharisees and the scribes. Here's what he said when he says, why aren't you teaching your disciples to observe this tradition of the elders? And then Jesus says, why are you, he says, transgressing the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Uh, that's, a, that's a very uh, pointed rebuke of these supposed experts of the law. And the first thing to observe is this. The ritual uh, in question here that the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes were bringing to Jesus is not in the word of God. And Jesus is the one that called it a human tradition. So if we had nothing else but this statement, we would understand it was not part of the law of God because Jesus is placing a contrast between that teaching of the Pharisees and the law of God. He says it's not part of the law of God. Why are you transgressing the law of God for the sake of this tradition? And rightly so, Jesus accuses them of a heinous sin in violating the law of God. Hence these so-called experts of the law who were binding men's consciences with their human traditions were in reality, according to Jesus, Jesus calls them a hypocrite. 
So what was Jesus accusing them of? Well, take a look at the text. Look at verse 4. So when Jesus says, why are you, or verse 3, why are you transgressing commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. Jesus, well, who is he accusing them of, what, of doing what? Of violating the fifth commandment of honor your father and mother. So in this regard, Jesus quotes... When, when he accuses them of not honoring their father, their fathers and their mothers, he is quoting from a case law in the Old Testament. Namely from, we're going to take a look at it, Exodus 21 and Leviticus 20. So if you will turn with me to Exodus 21, take a look at verse 17. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And if you turn over to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9, If there is anyone who curses his father or his mother, he shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood guiltiness is upon him. Now, what was involved in, by the way, in cursing one's parents? We probably have, any of us who have our parents have had our children get in our face at some point in some great disrespect at times. There's a difference in times of showing disrespect and cursing someone. To curse someone is to mock them. It is to uh, call upon God's judgments down upon them. This is an unrighteous way, of course, that Jesus is referring to. So Jesus is saying here, an aspect of the fifth commandment are these particular case laws that have to do with cursing in one's parents, which are worthy, Jesus says, of the death penalty. Now, I don't want to get off on a theological rabbit trail, but it is important to make this note. It is Jesus, Jesus is the one who has taken this case law and said that this case law is an application of God's general moral law found in the Ten Commandments. Now, if you look through the book of uh, Exodus, specifically Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you find examples of these case laws. The reason they're called case laws, these were specific instances of what to do if such and such happens. And all that the case law was designed to do was to give particular application to what the Ten Commandments have said. How to protect life. How to keep one's mind pure. How to honor people. Here Jesus says, and remember, it's Jesus who is the one who quotes the case law and applies it. Now, let's just look at that in itself. There are some today who say that these laws of the Old Testament 
have no abiding validity for us today. Well, that's not how Jesus thought. Some have said, well, the Old Covenant is the Old Covenant and has no place in the New Covenant. Well, not according to Jesus. He says, cursing one's parents violates the Fifth Commandment. And what is cursing? And then again, uh, it's Jesus who's actually saying, this is what ought to be done. And, And in essence, Jesus is saying, you Pharisees and elders, you're making this big deal about ceremonially washing your hands before you eat. That's not even the Word of God. And you, you are invalidating the Word of God, breaking the Fifth Commandment. And essentially what you're doing, he says, is no different in terms of what ought to be done as someone who cursed their parents. We have, um, for example, we have in the, the Old Testament part of the, uh, the specific laws <clears throat> regarding the Seventh Commandment on adultery. If adultery was confirmed by, the, by two or more witnesses, what did the law of God say? This is not human tradition. This is the law of God. You put them to death. That's what the law of God says. And by the way, some think the instance of the woman caught in adultery and brought to Jesus somehow is Jesus was nullifying the law of God. He wasn't nullifying the law of God at all. In that instance in John chapter 8. And they were trying to pit. You see, the, the, the strategy of the Pharisees and uh, the scribes were, find a way that Jesus is contradicting the law, the Mosaic law, and we've got him. He's a false prophet. We can kill him. We can stone him. He's a false prophet. And they were putting Jesus in a particular... They thought they really had trapped Jesus this time. And said, this woman was caught in adultery. What do you say, Jesus? We're never told what he wrote in the, in the, in the, the ground. But whatever he wrote, it says everybody began to scatter. And he looked up, and he, and he says, woman, he says, um, where are your accusers? Now, that's an interesting word, accusers. That's a legal term. If you're going to put someone to death for violating the law of God, you're going to have to have the testimony of two more witnesses, and they have to, they have to corroborate their testimony. So when they all left, Jesus says, where are your, your accusers? Well, they aren't any. They left. Jesus said, Who's, who has, uh, without sin, cast the first stone? No one was willing to cast the first stone. So... The law of Jesus wasn't nullifying the law of God. He actually applied it in such a way that no one was willing to follow through. And Jesus says, he knew she was guilty because he tells the woman, well, neither do I condemn you, and that's a legal term, go and sin no more. So there were not the testimony of two more witnesses. All I'm saying here is that Jesus, in confronting the Pharisees and the scribes about this human tradition, is saying you are guilty of violating the fifth commandment and your actions, and he's going to specify just how they were guilty in doing this. He says just as someone who curses their parents ought to die, what Jesus is saying, what I'm about to tell you you're doing, you ought to die for this because it's basically the same as cursing your parents. What were they doing? Well, 
Um, Jesus says uh, in our text, uh, take a look at verses 5 and 6. But you say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And thus, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Here's what Jesus was doing. Well, here's what Pharisees and, and the scribes are taught by their, their regulations, their human traditions. Here was a situation where parents were in financial need. And the parents could have been helped by the children. But here's what the, the tradition was saying. If you pledged that gift to the priests and to the temple service, then when your parents says, you know, we can really use some help, you go say, here's what Jesus was saying. And I'm paraphrasing. Well, Dad or Mom, I'm sorry, but I've, I've pledged that to the temple service. I'm sorry. And it wouldn't help the parents. And you know what Jesus said? He says, that is wicked. Evil. Remember, he's, he's raising the fact that they have violated the fifth commandment. And just like cursing would bring about the death penalty, Jesus says, you have completely misunderstood, misapplied the fifth commandment. You don't understand what it's all about. And so what happened here was that uh, Jesus saw their heart for what it really was. And you know what he says? He says that prophet Isaiah prophesied about you people. And then he quotes, notice what he quotes here. He quotes Isaiah uh, 29. But before we mention that, when Jesus uh, gave this scathing rebuke to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's essentially saying, you are so wicked. You, uh, it, It's very similar to what he will say later on in Matthew 23, verse 23, where Jesus, in speaking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the scribes, where he says, the essence of the law is what? Mercy. Justice. Faithfulness. That is what you have missed. You're not even missing uh, in this passage in Matthew that I just quoted. Jesus is referencing the actual law of God, and they had misapplied the law of God. In this instance, it's not even the law of God. It's a human tradition. And in fact, the, uh, this tradition was, was ruthless. It was cruel. And it actually provided a means for a child to find a way not to help his parents who are in need. Because that's exactly what Jesus says. He says, uh, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. Yeah, it could have helped you, Mom, but I'm sorry, it's too late. 
And Jesus says, that's wicked. And you accuse me of not teaching my disciples to wash their hands ceremonially? And this is what you are actually teaching the people? So, what Jesus is saying here, and he says, verse 7, you hypocrites. He called them to what they really were, hypocrites. He says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. Now, Isaiah is not thinking about this particular instance when in Isaiah 29 he mentions it. What Jesus is doing is the, what Isaiah said in Isaiah 29 is applicable to this situation. What did um, Isaiah 29 verse 13 say? Verse 8, the following. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So Jesus is saying, I am condemning you because what you have done you have taken your human tradition and you have elevated it not only just on par with Scripture. And in so doing, what happens is you have neglected the commandment of God. That's why I said earlier, what happens when you elevate human traditions? It will always displace the rightful authority. And that's what Jesus says here. Proverbs 21 verse 3 says, to do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord rather than sacrifice. Doing justice and, and mercy is to be desired rather than sacrifice. Who said that? God said that. Now one application of this, so that... Um, is that sometimes people in their zeal to want to honor God, get so wrapped up in external compliances of God's worship that they lose sight of the heart. And they would, um, what happens is, they become judges of men, they become condemners of the actions of men, because of these external failures as they perceive. And what happens is, there was no genuine desire for the person. They are condemned on the basis that they violated this external thing. Now, mind you, some of these external things may be proper in its context, but to condemn someone because of that, is not to apply the essence of the law. So we must remember that God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, who commanded the sacrifices in the first place? God did, right? Yeah, he did. But what Jesus is saying, even though I may, God says I may have prescribed this means of worship, it doesn't trump what's in the heart. You can get all wrapped up in the externals and miss the point, what Jesus is saying. To give you an example of how Israel missed the point, turn with me 
to Isaiah chapter 1. Start at verse 10, down to verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are, you, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Now, I'm going to continue, but I'm going to stop right there. God says, I'm tired of your sacrifices. I'm tired of your prayers. I'm tired of your festivals, your new moon feasts, all of it. I'm sick of it. Now, wait a minute. Who prescribed that in the first place? God. So why is God says he hates it, what they're doing? And he says, I don't even want you to continue. He says, I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. God says, your external religious activities have become a burden to me that I cannot even stand it. Now, what was so bad about what they were doing that God says, I don't even want to. He says, you might as well go home, not even bother to come to worship, because you're not pleasing me. In fact, you're just heaping more sins upon yourself. Here's what they're doing. Verse 17, or uh, the end of verse 15 begins the answer. He says, your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And that is not what they were doing. In fact, it's not just Isaiah. It's all the prophets. All the prophets had a scathing report of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, of the, the moral condition of the nation. Yeah, they were still going through religious activity, but they were abusing one another. They weren't taking care of the orphans. They weren't taking care of the widows. God says you better take care of the orphans widows because they are a needy group, and if you don't, God says, if you want to get me really mad, just do something against the widows and orphans, and you really get me mad. And that's what they were doing. They were abusing these groups. And they were taking advantage of one another. And as a result, God says, your religious activity, I don't even care about it. See, all this goes to demonstrate it's the heart. It's always the heart that matters with God. Now, be careful to think don't get into the idea of saying, well, the external has no value whatsoever. No, don't make me that mistake. But Jesus says, in doing the external, 
You've got to do it with the right attitude. Your heart has to be engaged. You have to understand that the essence of the law is justice, mercy, faithfulness. Don't forget it. And you Pharisees and scribes, you accuse me of not teaching my disciples to wash their hands ceremonially, and then you are teaching the people that they can neglect their responsibility to their parents to care for them when their parents are in need. You know, the Apostle Paul, he understood um, the, uh, the impact when in 1 Timothy chapter 5 he talks about, he says, He who, do, who does not provide for his household is worse than an infidel. And, and, and Paul is simply bringing forth the responsibilities of and the implications of the fifth commandment. So, <clears throat> the failure here was the fact, well, the passage that I read there in Isaiah was that they were going through actual services or activities that were commanded by God. And the different, there is a fine distinction with that and what we see here because Jesus says, what you're being critical of isn't even in the Word of God. It's not even there. And, and the scathing rebuke is you teach as doctrine, standards of, of, of precept, of morality, the precepts of men. And that's where you stand condemned. What are some human traditions that uh, bind men's consciences? Well, let's take a look at a few. In Scripture, turn to Colossians chapter 2. And look at verse 16 through verse 23. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath days, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from which the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to, do, to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using, in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Do not taste, do not handle, do not touch. All of these man-made impositions upon people. One of the most flagrant violations of this is Roman Catholicism in its vows of chastity that it expects of its all of its priests. They can never marry. 
like Scripture talks about, condemns those who teach the idea that you shouldn't marry as a terrible teaching. And here's the reality, and you can go down through church history. Has the vows of chastity made the priests more holy? Has it protected them from violating the seventh commandment? And the emphatic answer is really no. It hasn't. Because you see, man-made traditions, they don't have the authority of God. They have no way to uh, really sanctify a person. They appear to be holy, the severe treatment of the body. But does he say, are they of any value against fleshly indulgence? He says, no. They're counterproductive. Those who judge men according to certain foods and drinks, who, for example, make total abstinence uh, from certain drinks a standard of morality. For example, uh, those who say you can't be a church officer if you drink certain beverages. What is that doing? That's elevating a human tradition, not sanctioned by the Word of God, above the Scripture. Destined to cause trouble. And you see, here's the danger again with human traditions. They always supplant the authority of the Word of God. And you see, that's what Jesus brought out. You teach as doctrines the precepts of men, and thereby you invalidate the Word of God. Anytime you elevate this... Now, for example, another thing that Rome explicitly says in their catechisms, you know what the two authorities are for Rome? The Bible and and the tradition of the church. And what always wins out in the end? The tradition of the church. That's the problem when you have something that's authoritative along with the Word of God, it supplants the authority of the Scripture in reality. Um, For example, in this whole recent debate, uh, and it's still going on, on creationism and uh, creation and evolution, uh, one of the great sad compromises that are going on is that you have those who are saying, look, The findings of science must be taken into consideration in order to interpret accurately the Scripture. The the, the major thesis of that book that I wrote recently on theistic evolution, The Sinful Compromise, my main point there of the book was to demonstrate that when you do that, when you make science and equal authority, it will eat up the authority of the Word of God, and therefore you will find a systematic denial of one text after another. And therefore, the opinions of men become the standard by which you understand the Word of God. That, in principle, is terrible. But that's what happens. Now, Jesus... When he was speaking there, 
and giving that scathing rebuke of the Pharisees and the scribes, he turns to the multitudes, and he wants the multitudes not to miss the point. Notice what he says here, verse 11. It's not, well, verse 10 he says, hear and understand. Now, anytime Jesus says that, hear and understand, he's, he's, he's uh, drawing attention to the fact that he says you need to pay close attention to what I'm about to say. So what did Jesus say you need to pay close attention to? Verse 11. It's not what enters the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of his mouth. This defiles the man. And Mark, Mark has it. Jesus says it's not what... <clears throat> uh, what take a look at Mark. Take a look at Mark. That is instructive. Mark 7. Verse 18. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the mouth from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornicating, uh, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, and pride and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Jesus said, hear and understand what I'm about to tell you. This emphasis upon human traditions like the washing of hands, they'll do you no good. What matters is a heart of justice and mercy faithfulness to the law of God that doesn't set aside the fifth commandment because you don't want to help your parents out that you were guilty of teaching the people so he rightly did say you're a bunch of hypocrites you appear good to people you tout this holiness external holiness but in reality you're wicked because it's a wicked thing not to care for your parents who are in need and how, what did he say? Well, the disciples came back and said, Jesus, the Pharisees were really offended by what you said. Now, did Jesus go, oh, okay, I need to ask for forgiveness? No, no. He didn't say it, but they deserved everything that he said to them. Because <laughs> you know how Jesus, when, when he was told that the Pharisees were offended, First 13 says, he answered and said to the disciples, well, I, I got something more to add. And here's what he added. Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, they'll both fall into the pit. So when Jesus was told that they were offended, he says, well, one other thing. They're blind men leading the blind. But he did say something to them. Leave them alone. Now that's significant in itself. Leave them alone. In other words, it's not even worth trying to recover them. They're blind. And they'll leave the blind. And they'll both fall into the pit. Their hearts have been hardened. We know that to be the case, do we not? We've seen enough already in Matthew. 
Jesus heals people from, from horrific diseases. And what is the response of the Pharisees and scribes? How dare you do this? And they want to kill him? They want to kill him for actually helping somebody like this? They're blind who have been hardened in sin. Leave them alone. Now, that needs to be interpreted in, in, in a certain way in Scripture. Let me qualify that. <clears throat> Generally speaking, it is not the responsibility or the duty of people in general in the church to try to recover some heretics or try to deal in silence false teachers. Of which Pharisees were false teachers, mind you. It's a responsibility of the elders of the church. For example, I'm going to give you, and turn to Titus. Look at Titus 1. This is in qualifications of elders. And part of that qualification is verse 9 there, chapter 1. It says, Holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Now, that's not a contradiction to what Jesus said there in Matthew 15. They both have their own emphasis. The elders of the church are to be those who understand the Word of God, who have a knowledge of how to apply the Word of God, and one of their duties is to silence false teachers who have a tendency to ravage the church. But not everybody is that equipped. Generally speaking, we can say that Jesus' admonition is what to be followed. You have someone like these Pharisees and scribes who <laughs> advocate violating a, a, a law of God for a sake of human tradition, just leave them alone. They're blind. Leaving the blind. Anytime that men elevate human tradition on par with Scripture, the tradition will always invalidate the law of God. It will, as it were, eat it up. And then the human tradition becomes the standard. And God forbid that human opinions are the standard and not the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. Give us direction. We pray, um, we ask that indeed you would raise up those to silence those who need to be silenced. But Lord, teach us to value the things that are important, the things of the heart of mercy and justice, faithfulness to your law. Be with us in, for Jesus' glory. Amen.